No, I didn't actually attempt. Um, I haven't gotten to that point, I guess. The courage, the strength that it takes to be open and honest about this. Instead of just, you know, blaming myself that he's not here anymore. Uh, I was prepared to shoot myself. And I called my family uh, to sort of say goodbye. To be honest, I was scared reaching out for help because I was like, this could totally ruin my career. Somebody to have a more proactive approach and that he was coming to me to be that person. They found him and he committed suicide. I just started screaming. I just felt responsible. Good morning, everybody. Tim Lawson here, host and founder of the One Too Many Veteran Suicide Podcast and Project. And we're moving along quite nicely. This is episode 15. We are a couple weeks into this new scheduling format with the with the stories on Monday, the momentary reflections on Wednesday, and the Q&A on Friday. If you have a question that you would like me to answer during the Q&A this Friday, go to the contact page, one too many.com slash contact, O N E, the number two, many project.com slash contact. And there's ways to get a hold of me there. Ask a question. I would love to answer it during this Friday's QA. Today's story comes from a gold star mom, Margie Agar. She's going to tell us a story of her daughter going through her life in the army, the struggles that she had personally with her experiences in Iraq, a bullying problem that was occurring in her last unit. And this is, you know, this is the first story of this kind that we that we've had one from a parent's point of view and two suicide that we believe resulted because of bullying. Uh Margie, she does a great job uh, setting up the the scenario for us, and then telling us, you know, what she believed happened. Even though she heard that a lot of what she discovered was well after her daughter's death. I'm going to save a few of my comments for the reflections. Listen to Margie's story, and let's honor her daughter with appreciation and understanding of her mother's willingness to come forward. Her name, first of all, her name is Kim. Her name was Sergeant Kimberly Agar, middle child, only daughter. At age 20, she enlisted in the Army in 2006, enlisted in October, and she went through all the stuff, and by um, next July, she was in Iraq, which was during the surge, and she spent um, 15 months there. MOS was 88 Mike, which was transportation specialist. Um, she, was a, she drove the big 52-wheeled convoy trucks. She was in Iraq for 15 months, and then she came home. In October uh, 2008, she stayed at Fort Benning, Georgia for a year. And then, I don't know what the Army term is for relocating, but she re-enlisted and relocated to Illesheim, Germany, where she became a member of the 153rd Reconnaissance, where she um, refueled Apache helicopters, and um, Blackhawks. And then her last job in the Army was with the United States Army Band and Chorus in Europe. So that's kind of how her 
her army career went. She in particular, um, Kim herself had been a vocalist since age six. When she was six, well, I always knew she could sing from when she was little. So at age six, she went out on her own, well, with mom's help, and she went to nursing homes and sang to people there. And um, from there on, she just kind of was like, it was a gift from God that she could sing, but she also wanted to use her gift to bless other people. She felt like her song was her gift from God, and how she used it was her gift back to him. So over the years, she sang um, many songs. She performed in the East Room of the White House with a um, children's performance troupe when she was, I think, eight or nine. By 11, she was singing the National Anthem, which was her favorite to sing everywhere. And that played a particularly important part in her life. Um, she sang the National Anthem anywhere she could. Um by the time she was going through high school, she was entering the, her, her ability to sing allowed her to enter into the Miss Teen Texas and the Miss Texas pageants with her talent. But it also opened up the door to community service, which she loved to do. So she would do community service and sing wherever she could. She graduated from high school. Started college, didn't really work for her, so she entered the Army. So then we're back up to um, basic training. And basic training, they found out she could sing the National Anthem. So she was asked to sing at basic training graduation. And um, everybody was pretty thrilled with her voice. Um, and when I ever say anything like this, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to take the mama bit out of this. This is people talking to me because mm-hmm, I've already mm-hmm. got my mama's pride in there. So um, the commanders and the brass or whatever you call them were impressed with her with her voice and they really encouraged her to jo- join the soldier show, which I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, mom, I still need to go to Iraq first. And I was like, oh, dang. So, <laughs> so, um, she went to Iraq, but they knew she could sing the anthem, so she was the go-to person there. I don't really know how many times she sang there, but if there was a dignitary or command change, and this was prevalent throughout her Army career, wherever she was stationed, um, command change, social events, whatever. She was uh, the national anthem go-to person, and she was very proud of that, as a matter of fact, as was I. She comes back from Iraq in 2008, and I did not know her at all. Um, I spent a week with her at Fort Benning when they came back and reintegrated, and she bought her first car, and I was with her doing all that. And then I came home, and then a week later, she came home for two weeks, and it was like walking on eggshells. It was horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not know her. Um, I was crushed. Um, I would try and hug her and she would just like get really angry. But then in the same time, she'd say, mom, you don't have to ask to hug me. And then I would try to hug her and get that anger. So it was like, I didn't know what to do. So before she left to go back to the base, I called her commander. I was so worried. I said, please keep an eye on her. It's like, you know, this was back in 08 when 
you know, IEDs weren't big news yet. I mean, it was there. Um, I have to back up. When she got off the plane, she goes, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? And she goes, I got hit by an IED. And I was like, what? And then she didn't want to, after that, she didn't talk about it again for four years. She didn't say anything more to me about it for four years. She didn't want to talk about it. So a lot of what I have to say later on is going to be found out after she died. Um, so the commander, I told her commander, I said, she's going to get mad at me for being a mom and telling you to watch out for her. I said, so please use her singing. I said, keep an eye on her by asking her to come into your office and ask her about her singing. And you know, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, just keep an eye on her, but don't bring her in saying that mom's worried about you because she'd kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was happening um, based on talking to battle buddies after she died. Nothing happened. She was never treated, never went in for anything, nothing. Um, then she uh, relocated to Illesheim, Germany. And basically... Um, she liked it. Um, she was glad because the, the, uh, group she was with prior when she left for Germany, they left for Afghanistan. So I was really happy that she wasn't going back to Afghanistan. Um, so when she got deployed and she got into Germany, she liked her, she liked her job, but she got bored. Um, but she loved it. She got down and dirty and greasy with the guys fixing the trucks and, and helicopters, whatever they had to work on, uh, back in Iraq or the helicopters, whatever. She did not, she did not mind getting her hands dirty. She wasn't a prissy girl. Mm-hmm. Unless she was in a pageant. <laughs> then she was all, uh, bling. And she kind of had that, um, nickname of Kim loved bling. But when she put on her uniform, she was all soldier. During her time in Germany, she would do the singing, um, like I said, for um, dignitaries and social events. Um, I believe during the Illesheim time, she sang for General Martin Dempsey and Leon Panetta. Um, and she received accolades and gold coins and stuff along the way. Um by December of 2010, she was really bored. And I said, well, you know, she's trying to figure out what to do. And I said, well, check out the chorus. You know, everybody's always said, so she did. Her commander made a call to the chorus, um, then talked to her. She had to sing on the phone twice. And then she was invited to an audition. She passed the audition. Um, and this was in February of 2011. She passed the audition and then went for a 30-day attachment, which was basically a 30-day audition. Um, and at the end of February, she made the chorus. She was the happiest I have ever heard. And I was so excited for her because singing had always been such an integral part of her life. It was like, just like anybody is with music, especially growing up in the teen years, you know, 
they get involved with the music to help their emotions and their hormones. You know, and we all went through that. Music plays a big part of your life, besides the fact that she got to sing. Um, a lot of memories from a lot of her battle buddies were, yeah, we'd always walk by and hear Kim singing in her room. And they, she would always get them to sing with her. I mean, she was just known as the girl who could sing. So when she made the chorus, she was just on cloud nine and I cried. I was so happy because I thought, good, you know, now she's in a place where she loves. And I had not seen a whole lot of, um, what I thought was PTSD when she came home. I hadn't seen much of it. Um, I have to explain, she allowed me to live her life through Facebook. We were very close. Uh, closer, I mean, we were mother-daughter, but we were best friends. Um, very close. So there wasn't much that I didn't know, or so I thought. Um, at least with her social life and friends, I pretty much knew what was going on. I knew that she was um, suffering from headaches and um, with nausea and back pain, but not a whole lot. Um, I think it was March or April she called me and said she was frantic, and she said, Mom, would you please deactivate my Facebook account? I've got a girl here in the chorus that is bullying me and another soldier who came in at the same time she did. I said, I will. Well, she reactivated under a different name twice because they would take her pictures, which were very wholesome and humble and beautiful, and apparently start rumors. I don't really know what was happening. I just know it was really irritating her. But for the next couple of months, she seemed really excited. She went to London. They sang for the Queen of England. They went to Serbia, sang on national TV, Sylvania. Um, back in, oh, by then she was living in Heidelberg. I forgot to say that. She was living in Heidelberg. And um, she was, they sang at the um, Lieutenant Colonel's house for visiting dignitaries, Hungarian officials. And the very last uh, official she sang for was the... Afghan minister and um, the lieutenant general of the commanding forces in Europe who was over, that was where her chain of command went, gave her a gold coin because the Afghan minister had told her that her performance had made his night the best night he had had in 30 years. Wow. And that was like, I think, six days before she died. Backing up a bit. Well, or going ahead, whichever. Let's see. End of June, she was in great mood, and she was so excited. She goes, um, she called me or, you know, Facebooked. Mom, actually, I think she called me. She goes, Mom, guess what? I'm going to open the July 4th show, and I'm going to sing Martina McBride's Independence Day and um, Lady Antebellum's I Need You Now, which was a duet, and I've never seen her do a duet. So she was really excited. I said, you get somebody to video, get somebody to video. Yeah. yeah. And um, after the fourth, I didn't hear from her. And so I, you know, write to her, did you get a video? Did you get a video? And and she wrote back, she said, no, Mom, you know, nobody videoed. And, and um, so when we had one of our conversations on the phone, she actually was saying she got angry, which in 20-some years, she's, 
I mean, she had her usual teenage outburst, but this was anger. She was like, why? And it came out of left field. Why do you always have to ask about my work when you call? I don't want to talk about it. So I knew something happened on July 4th because she's telling me, you know, there's no video. Don't ask her about it. Whereas prior to July 4th, she was just excited. Yeah. So um, at the end of July, she had a vacation scheduled for Barcelona. And I thought, good, she just needed a vacation. She came back from Barcelona. Now, a lot of this, I'm telling you from after I have learned it. Um, I didn't know it while it was going on. I did know she was uh, pulling back from friends and family really bad. Um, I mean, we'd talk almost every day on Facebook, and it was gotten, it was getting to the point where I never heard from her. She didn't post nothing. Uh, I never heard about her vacation to um, Barcelona. Um, so in August, she was just, that was the end of July. So in August, she was really pulling back from everybody. Uh, apparently, some guys from Illishheim, or old battle buddies, came to visit her and said that she was very withdrawn. She wasn't singing. She could, they couldn't get her to sing for them, which is very unusual. Very. And um, um, all that time, she wasn't talking to me. Well, on September 6th, I was reading Facebook. And I thought, oh, Kim posted. So I read it, and it said, Mom, just remember, I will always love you. And there's a huge red flag went up. And I'm like, what? So I'm calling her cell phone, calling her. Nobody answers, nobody answers. It's like at 11 o'clock over there. It's like 3 o'clock here. <laughs> Nobody's answering. And finally, her um, her best friend answered. And she said, I'm with Kim. I'm getting ready to take her to the hospital. What had happened is she had gotten a um, critical review in her monthly counseling, I guess it is, about her singing, and um, apparently told somebody she screwed up. So she went back to her room and took some pills, drank some wine, and cut her wrist. Um, so she somehow got a hold of somebody who got a hold of her best friend, who got a hold of Kim, took her to the hospital. So this is the beginning of the end, basically. Um, she went in, she was treated, um, and to this day, which is a big thing that we can talk about, too, is I was never notified by the Army. Never. She was in the hospital for 11 days. I don't know what kind of medicine she was going on. I don't know what kind of counseling she had. I don't know anything to this day. I don't know anything except that she did tell me she liked the doctor, and the doctor, she was the first time that she had spoken to a doctor in the Army that believed her. Um, at that time, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and I'm very angry to even say those words, and um, let out of the hospital to go back to the base. It was a four-day weekend, so she was on suicide watch for 48 hours, according to the Army. According to the doctor, which I learned during the criminal investigation and in his sworn statement, he wanted her on a 24-7 watch until he saw her again because he feared a relapse. In the meantime, she comes back from 
the hospital. They had the long weekend. She asked to be moved to a different floor, and they let her. However, it was an isolated floor. I think there was one other roommate. Everybody else was in the band, and they were on tour. Um, there was one other person on the floor. She had no roommate. So she's totally isolated. Nobody's checking on her. Nothing. Um, again, I don't know any of this till after. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, on September 30th, I learned that they had some sort of altercation in the chorus, the girls. And apparently Kim had asked the main girl who was bullying her, you hate me so much. And I don't really know the answer except that it had something to do how music was more important than the soldier, that type of thing. And it got so heated that um, the sergeant tabled the conversation. It was a Friday, I think, tabled it till Monday because there was one girl there who couldn't defend herself. There was one girl that was not there to defend herself. So it was tabled until Monday, October 3rd. Well, Kim had doctor a doctor appointment set up on Monday, October 3rd, so she didn't report to formation. Um, by lunchtime, they noticed her car was in the parking lot and really had never moved, but she should have been back by then, and she wasn't. So uh, they called her, couldn't get a hold of her, went to her door, couldn't get a hold of her. They opened the door, and they, um, they found her um, deceased. She hung herself. And and how so? How were you notified that time when it, when it when when I deceased? I was actually babysitting some kids, and drive time it was like forty five minutes away. And my youngest son lives with me. He called me. He goes, "Mom, some soldiers came to the door." And I'm just like, you know, I'm one that always feared that knock. So I didn't even, it didn't even pass in my brain because the last time I, I have a voicemail from her that just said everything's going to be okay. And um, so you told me there are soldiers there. And I was like, they're probably just coming because they're always still calling from when he graduated in high school to see if he wants to enlist, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I just figured they were, that's, that's what I was doing. And all of a sudden it started sinking in like, well, because he said they aren't leaving. And what do you mean they're not leaving? And he goes, they won't tell me anything and they won't leave until you come home. And so I talked to one of them. I said, is this really important? Do I, do I need to hurry up and come home? I mean, it isn't sinking in yeah. at all. And um, they go, yeah, you, you need to come home. So I started driving home and it's sinking in and I start calling her cell phone. Nobody answers, nobody answers, nobody answers. So I call my mom and um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I think she's dead. There's soldiers waiting for me at home. And I was screaming, and I was driving at the same time, and Trey was 5 o'clock traffic. Well, the more it sunk in and the more I was screaming to her that she's dead, she's dead, I think she's dead. Um, I couldn't drive anymore, so I... I was in going through a town that I used to live in, and so I drove to their police station and, and um, got the police chaplain to drive me the rest of the way home, about another half hour. And um, 
I got home, and by then, my other son and my ex-husband, everybody had been called, and they were all waiting for me. And the soldiers took my ex-husband and I into my apartment and and uh, told me. And uh, I just screamed and punched the wall and fell down and and then doubled it when I heard how she died because I just was figuring it was just probably pills again. But yeah. when they told me she hung herself, that's, I still can't go there right now. Was there, was there any note? There was just a note that just said, I leave everything to my mom. Um, when I finally got the notebook, you could tell that she had written something else on an, on a piece of paper that was on top of that. You know how yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it comes through. And so, um, when one of her best friends came here, she's from Texas, and Kim became best friends with her in Illishime, but she was now based in North Carolina. So she came for um, the funeral, and I showed it to her, or I think it was after, because I wouldn't have had it yet. So it was later on she came through, I think, to go to the cemetery. Anyway, I showed it to her, and she did that little, you know, where you can put a pencil over it and the words come out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it talked about trying to remember what it says exactly, something about I hate, and she gave the initials to the girl that bullied her, and I knew exactly who it was. And then I can't really make out the next two, but it sounded like she said, I hate me. Like, I hate her, I hate me. I should have had it out here so I could read it too. But then it just said something like, I wish somebody would hold me, and I hope God will, goodbye world. How long until you started having contact with her colleagues there? They would not let me talk to anybody to this day. <laughs> um, I have not. I have not been able to talk to anyone. We actually, I, the next day, we had a phone call from her lieutenant colonel. Um. And by then, we had our casualty officers there um, from Fort Hood. They came up. They handled our case from Fort Hood. And we talked with the lieutenant colonel. And I really don't remember a whole lot of, this, of the conversation. But I do remember when the time came up for us to ask if we had any more questions. I said, well, what about the bullying what about the bullying? I said, it it had something to do with this. And her reply was, I didn't know it was that bad. Um, do you know what the context of the bullying was? I'm learning. Because, like I said, nobody will talk to me. But I know bits and pieces. Um, just recently, as recent as November... One of the band members has left the army and he wants justice for Kim because they were friends. And so he is starting to tell me things because he doesn't fear reprisal anymore where everybody still does. He told me that the colonel came in and told everybody there they were not allowed to talk to me or my family. And, um, I felt it. I mean, I couldn't get 
I didn't talk to anybody. Everything was done through the criminal investigator. But I know some of the incidences were, and all this, like I said, I found out since, have been um, right before Kim called to tell me to get rid of Facebook, she had already been bullied, and I didn't know it was that, that early. I thought it was only then. But it had already started when they went to their first tour in Serbia. And what the witness statement says is that she was talked to sternly um, about not getting, uh, not befriending or, or being friends with anybody in the band. That they were a pack of wolves and all they wanted to do is have sex with you. Um, mind you, Kim was, I have to tell you, you know, she was a very, from all her battle buddies, you know, she was the type of girl that they all wanted to date, they all wanted to marry, mm -hmm. and she said no. She, I've been told to my face, so I will know that she was not the girl that slept around. She, like I said, she was the one that got down and actually did work and got dirty, and they treated her like a little sister, so... And I knew that's how I raised her, so I didn't. It didn't surprise me. So um, another way I found out too was, and if you need to go back on anything, let me know. But another way I found out too is during that the last three or four months um, of Cam's life, she was skyping an old high school girlfriend that was also living in North Carolina, and that's where I got a lot of my information because Kim was telling her everything not me. And um, I learned that she um, I don't know. Sometimes it gets confusing from who I knew it from, but I guess it doesn't really matter. I'll just tell you the things I found out. Yeah. Um, when she was diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder, she was, and I totally understand this, um, she knew something was wrong with her. She didn't know what but she had had so she had so many symptoms of PTSD that I figured that's what it was. But and I think she had those all along. It's the depression that she didn't have, and that's what the witness statement said. That he didn't see that when she joined the chorus, the depression. But after January fourth, he said that's when the hating came out the most. The hating he goes was out of control at the July fourth. Um, place where they sang, which totally coincides with I felt something happened on July 4th. Um, when she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, her girlfriend even told me on the phone, uh, this is when she was in the hospital for 11 days, told me on the phone that she was, she had a diagnosis made, which I didn't know what it was. Um, and she was going around and telling everybody that she was so happy that, some, that she was diagnosed with something. Um, and anybody that has been sick will understand that you know something's wrong. You go to the hospital, you just pray that they find something so you don't think you're going crazy. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they diagnosed her with the borderline personality disorder. So she's coming back and telling people, you know, I know what's wrong with me. Well, what happened then is... All of the chorus, even her girlfriends, actually turned their backs on her. Um, they thought she was 
seeking attention. Um, when she would start talking about it, they would change the subject. Um, they would say, oh, yeah, 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 and, and change the subject, or they would walk away. Um, I was told this to my, I say to my ear, because it couldn't have been to my face. I was, you know, just told, you know, we're not listening to this. She's just seeking attention. And the same thing happened on the um, sworn statements. One of the girls called Kim's suicide attempt as she thought she was sitting on a set of ER. Um, she said it was overdramatic and she was just seeking attention. Um, and that's kind of how she was treated. Um, I know one time I was told that she was, um, she would get in trouble for going to the doctor's. And um, I told the colonel when he came here with her line of duty report that this happened. And um, he got upset. And I said, well, I'm upset because it did happen because I was told it happened. That um, when she would get in trouble for going to the doctors, then they started telling her she couldn't go because it interfered with chorus rehearsals. What? Thank you. That's exactly what the colonel said. He goes, they can't do that. I said, but they did it. Yeah. He, they can't do that. And I yelled. I said, but they did it. Um, she couldn't go. And then, I don't know, to make up missed work, or I don't even know if it was making up missed work, but one of the symptoms Kim had from the bomb was tinnitus. And sometimes she would have a hard time hearing the right key. And I heard there was incidences where after a whole day's of rehearsal, they would keep her late and um, st standing up and singing until she would hit the right notes. And here is a girl that has been through combat for 15 months, and it takes a lot to bring her to tears. Well, it brought her to tears, and they told her basically, if you can't take it, then get the F out of here. This isn't the chorus. This this girl's been to combat. Yeah. None of these chorus people have been to combat. They all come from music schools. <laughs> so, um, you know, she's not used to, she's not used to this. She's used to a unit, you know, of yeah. every and the one thing she one of the things she told her girlfriend she was Skyping is if she was in combat with these girls that she would be dead. That none of them would have her six. Um, I know I'm kind of going around and around, but no, I'm, no, it's, it's, I'm remembering things as I as I talk. Yeah, so. I can hear you doing that. So I'm just letting you get that all out there. Where do you think the the misfire on on the army side really was? Where do you think they truly failed her? You know, my sister has a PhD in ethics and is also her godmother. She actually works with the Department of Defense in Washington, so she's been a been a big help to me. <laughs> And um, I'm going to read you something she wrote, if that's okay, about that. It said, while not the direct cause of her death, meaning, I'm not, I guess the suicide, not the, well, no, this is what she wrote. While not the direct cause of her death, the blatant disregard of bioethical principles and several lapses in professional judgment regarding the ethics of care, as well as the agri—I practice this word—egregious <laughs> failure of leadership and command, 
ensured that Sergeant Agar did not have an adequate opportunity to address and overcome the issues she faced, rather than being afforded options to get well and become stronger as a result. She was, she felt, left with only a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, all right, two things known about depression and PTSD. They can be rela- they can be treated with help, and people often end up much stronger as a result, and they interfere with the ability to make rational, free choices. The most disturbing part about Sergeant Agar's case and dozens of others, is at the most vulnerable point in her life, she was left to fend for herself. Yeah, it's 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 actually... I'm livid that they never called me after the first attempt. I am still livid. Yeah, because... I, I'm actually really... And I'm actually really surprised that they were so... I know, I know the, the Navy and the Air Force take it a little bit more seriously. I want to say the Marine Corps even is, it, I mean, the Marine Corps, you know, the suicide watches, I mean, if they think that you might even like punch yourself in the head, you may, you may get put on it. But I'm, I'm really disappointed that they only had her for like 48 hours. There's really no follow up because, I mean, studies oh. for decades have proved that, that attempting, um, is sort of gateway to a second attempt. Oh, exactly. I have an, a health education minor. So, I mean, my whole background is education, which is mental health and physical health. I mean, it's both. Mm-hmm. And with my sister's help being in ethics, we are trying to work through this. And um, that has been, I think, the biggest hurdle I've had to go over is the fact that they they didn't call us. And and the other thing, too, that happened was when she returned to her barracks, and this is in the reports, her social worker took her off of suicide watch against doctor's orders. He did not know about it, and he was distraught when she died. Um, so... So the Army is over here saying it was only 48 hours, and the medical is over here saying it was 24-7. And it had to be because then a social worker comes in and takes her off of suicide watch against the doctor's orders and without his consent. And then the day after she dies, the social worker retires. And gosh darn, they could not find her to get a statement from her after Kim died. But dang it, they can find Bin Laden. Yeah. So wow. I, I, you know, nobody's ever talked to the social worker. Nobody. And when all the investigations were done, the aspect of bullying was not a big, a big part of any investigation because nobody would talk. And that's why I say, is like, I just found out all, a lot of this just in this past November. And that was, 25 months after she died, I'm finally hearing things. How many, what, what, what sort of opportunities have you gotten, gotten in, in sharing your daughter's stories? I find every opportunity I can like this. I'm so grateful for what you're doing, for one thing. You know, I'm, I'm obviously no professional, but I've talked to two or three doctors that, you know, that study PTSD and specific to, to veteran, um, 
um, veteran mental health and you know, they, some of the things that they've talked about are being contradicted from the stories that I'm hearing. And it's, it's, it's almost sad that we know this stuff, but yet somehow, um, you know, our, our military can't apply it. Yeah. 48 hour suicide watch obviously is, it's not enough in any case, I don't think. I mean, I think, um, you know, that's something, as well as like you can't, it, it's one thing to tell someone that they, you know, shouldn't eat certain foods for 48 hours and if they decide to do otherwise then you know you have to take that as it counts but it's another thing to be dealing with someone's you know attempt to take their own life and to assume that 48 hours is enough time to get over that especially based on her records which i found out after she died um the night that they left the night before they left for iraq um i don't even know all the details but she cut her wrist the night she was leaving for Iraq. And, um, I didn't, I don't think it needed stitches or anything, but it was a signal. I'm not sure if it was military related. I don't, I don't really know. She's not around to ask. I didn't know about it. Margie and I actually talked for a very long time. I still have another 40 minutes of audio of us discussing our further discussion went more into the investigation and on the military side. And that's a conversation that I'm going to save for a later episode as I have other insight on military investigations when it comes to things like this that I'd like to add into it. The, the one thing that I want to reflect on and I'll keep it short. Bullying is not something that just grade school kids deal with. Bullying is something that, so many individuals have to deal with at different parts of their life because of any number of scenarios in their personal or professional life. And I think this is a reminder that bullying is something that can still be emotionally taxing to someone who has to suffer through it. And I think that we should remember this and try to recognize it when we see it happening around us that any age is not immune to being bullied and when it's when it's hard enough when it's difficult enough when it's coming to when it's coming at you with uh with more people and more weight no matter your age your maturity your strength it's still going to weigh on you and clearly the story we just heard about Kim it can turn to be fatal so Let's remember to take care of each other, to look out for each other, to still stand up for each other when we notice that this sort of juvenile behavior is occurring, especially especially in our United States military. I want to thank Margie again for coming forward and talking to us. She's a gold star mom, and uh, I, I just think that her willingness to share her daughter's story in as many places as she can, truly inspiring. Today's resource is actually going to be someone like Margie, a gold star mom, a family member, someone who's been there. I remember when I was going through difficult times, not necessarily with suicide, but just be- with being a stubborn teenager, my mother turned to a mo- to another mother who'd already experienced raising a teenager, looking for guidance. And I think that if we are... If we are in a situation where we think, feel like one of our friends or family members is dealing with emotional, uh, emotional health issues, that 
I know not everybody has this resource near them or is aware, but if you do, if you're aware of someone who's who's ha- who's been through that, talk to them, see see what their insight may be, see if they can cue you up on uh, on what to look out for, at least prepare you for the right conversation or or, or what you need to be um, to be aware of when interacting with that individual. But you know, use someone who you know has experience in in dealing with this as a family member or a friend, not necessarily a medical professional, but someone who has been in that moment and has, has had time to evaluate, um, you know, what could have done or what they should have done or what needed to happen and let them relay that experience onto you so you can benefit from it. I thank you for listening. If you want to check out more of the stories, the reflections and the Q and a go to one too many project.com. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.